well, what in the world is going on in the world? I mean, things are in a real mess. I'm not talking about inconveniences like Walmart not having any jars of Tostitos, medium hot, chunky salsa on the shelves. I'm talking about real trouble. The big stuff, disaster kind of stuff, like the hurricane or the tornado that can destroy your home. Or COVID-19 that could cost you your job or may make a loved one deathly ill. Or maybe it was back in February and you have loved ones or friends in the Ukraine when Russia invaded. Or maybe it's someone telling lies about you, trying to assassinate or kill off your good reputation. Or maybe you think of your retirement funds, and they've lost half their value in the past two years, and you wonder, will we be able to make it through retirement? Or 9-11 anniversary is coming up, and you remember seeing those towers fall, and you start thinking, well, what if... Terrorism strikes here, in the Metroplex. Or you come across yet another report about a mass shooting. Am I safe? Are our kids safe? You see, all of us are vulnerable. All of us can be hurt. Whether we're talking about physical, financial, emotional, fearful that the opportunity to experience and to enjoy the good life is being destroyed, whether now because of what is happening or soon because of what is coming, because what we have depended on to be secure, to provide um, safety, to support us, to enable us to enjoy the good life is being ripped out right from underneath our feet. So how can you, I mean, we want to feel secure, want to feel safe, rather than being afraid when perils come and they shake up our world, but how can you experience the peace and the joy of being secure when you live in such a dangerous and chaotic world, when disaster can threaten you and even strike you at any time? when the chaos and the impending doom threaten to overwhelm you? Well, the psalmist has an answer for us. We'll find that in Psalm 46. So join me in Psalm 46. Our text today is Psalm 46, and first we'll see the threat, second we'll see the victory, and third we'll consider an appropriate response. The threat, the victory, and an appropriate response. And the first thing I want you to see is that the threat of great peril causes God's people to fear. Notice how the psalmist begins the psalm in verse 1. He wrote, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Trouble, it's not if, but when. And the Hebrew word translated as trouble here is used to describe people who are are in a a tight bind. They, They can't move. It refers to very difficult, even life-threatening situations that you can't get yourself out of. And in the next few verses, the psalmist is going to paint a picture of what such deep, troubling um, uh, peril looks like. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 for one type of it. A few words into verse 2, he writes, Though the earth should change 
Though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. I mean, can you picture the Rocky Mountains or, or Mount Everest? I mean, that's the very picture of what is stable, what is the epitome of security. And yet here, what's happening? They're, they're, they're quaking. They're being shaken to their core and they're falling into the sea. And speaking of the sea, it's roaring and foaming, right? That's a picture of angry, aggressive, chaos being there. These are pictures of tremendous natural disasters. For another type of peril, let's look at verse 6, the first part of that. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. Now drop down to verse 9 and notice the several words that refer to war, right? Wars, bow, spear, chariots. Instead of chariots, your translation may say shields. I think chariots is a better translation because then all of those would, would match, right? Bow, spear, chariots, those are offensive weapons. They're weapons that the enemy can use to overwhelm you. And there is war, right? The nations are in an uproar. Ooh, uproar. That's the same adjective used to describe that angry, aggressive sea back in verse 3. And as a result of the uproar in the nations, kingdoms are being conquered, right? They're tottering or they're falling. Oh, falling, that's the same verb used to describe the mountains that are being shaken and falling into the sea. And so we got this picture of, in the earlier verses, of the chaos and destruction coming from natural disasters. And then we have, in the later verses, chaos and destruction coming from human forces that are within the nations. So what the psalmist is doing here, he's painting this picture of chaos and disaster all around the people of God, whether it's natural or man-made. And he uses hyperbole, right? He kind of exaggerates a little bit to make the point, to picture just how great the peril can be, right? We're talking about gut-wrenching, earth-shaking peril, right? Severe enough, it seems like the world is coming to an end. The point is that nothing and no one is safe. Nothing And no one can guarantee your security or that you'll be able to experience the good life. The forces of trouble are just too great, right? They're going to overthrow the order of things. They're going to to ruin what is right. They're going to rob you of the ability to experience the good life. And so the psalmist wants God's people to wonder, I mean, how do they? How do they make it through such great peril? I mean, remember, he's writing to God's chosen people. Chosen and cherished by God. And this can happen to them? Wow. And like the Jews back then, the Christians of today, we're we're left wondering the same thing because we live in a fallen world. This world that's been cursed by God because of sin. I mean, just think of this great country in which you live. I don't think there's any part of it that is free from the threat of great natural disasters, right? Whether it's earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, like we've seen in the past few months. They threaten not only our lives, but our sense of being secure or safe. 
until two years ago. Who could have imagined the far-reaching and continuing effects of the pandemic? Wars and attacks. I mean, Russia invading Ukraine back in February. Okay, that's overseas, but here, right? 9-11. Report after report after report of mass shootings. Inflation and the falling stock market. You, your spouse, your parents, your children being diagnosed with cancer. I mean, nothing and no one in this world can be a source, a certain source of security. Nor can they guarantee that you will be able to experience the good life. So when you face times and events like this, it's easy to get overwhelmed. I mean, the world around you is shaken to its core. And you are too. And so the natural response is, even for God's people, is fear. Right? You're in this tight, impossible bind. You can't get yourself out of it because what you've depended on for security is at risk or it's been taken away. Of course you're going to experience anxiety or even genuine fear. It's only natural. So what hope do you have? Where do you find genuine security? Well, we've seen the threat. Now let's look at the victory. I want you to see that God provides the final victory over whatever great peril his people face. And just like the psalmist had painted this, this picture of great peril, he's going to paint another picture now. And it's a beautiful picture of God. Let's go back and reread verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Right? I mean, what a confident statement. And what a way to open the psalm that is so full of peril. You see, God's people can be confident because God is their refuge. Right? He's their shelter from danger. He's their protection from the great and overwhelming peril. And God's people will be confident because he is their strength. Right? He's their source of strength when everything around them seems to be crumbling and falling apart. He enables them to stand up under the onslaught of the peril and in their weakness. When they're hemmed in by the trouble, he enables them to act instead of being paralyzed. And God's people can be confident because God is their very present help. In other words, he's always present to help them. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what the psalmist is saying here. He's not saying that God's people can get themselves out of it with just a little help from God, right? Remember, they're, they're hemmed in. They can't move. They can't get themselves out. And so when the psalmist says that God is helping them, it's like God helping other people in other passages of Scripture. He doesn't assist them. He rescues them. I mean, that's a great picture of God. But there's more to the picture. Look with me at verse 5. God is in the midst of her. That's a reference to Jerusalem. So God is in Jerusalem. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And so God's within the city, meaning he's living right in the midst of his people. And the city does not fall 
Because God himself is there. You see, the security of the city is not from the walls or from the warriors. It's from the reality of God's presence with his people. Remember, this is the same God from verse 1. Right? The God who is their refuge. The God who is their strength. The God who is their very present help. He is right there with them. And the result? The city and the people, they will not be moved. They will not fall. They will not be overcome. Right? This, the contrast to the mountains, right? The very picture of the ultimate stability. They were shaken to the core and they fell into the sea. But because God is with his people, they will not be moved. They will not fall. And to say that God helps them when the morning dawns, that's a picture of God intervening at the dawn of a new day, after the darkness of the night, after the darkness and the chaos have been overcome by the light of God's presence. And so because of his presence, God will help the city and the people doing for them what they can't do for themselves, rescuing them, giving them security, even when there's great natural disasters, rescuing them, giving them security, even when there's great human disasters, whether it's war or some other type of great human uh, disaster. Now let's look at how the psalmist described the help that God's going to provide his people, help when they're being attacked. And and like the rest of the, the painting, he paints an incredible picture of this. Notice the second half of verse six. He, that's God, raised his voice, the earth melted. I mean, that's how mighty God is. When God speaks a word of judgment, these nations who are conquering other nations, they have great power. They're nothing against God. And they just melt away. Remember, this is the same God from Genesis chapter one. He spoke and all of creation happened. Well, here he speaks again in judgment and he takes care of his enemies and his people's enemies. You see, God made the world and he can unmake it too. Drop down to verses eight and nine. Psalmist wrote, Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Now, these verses open basically with the words, come and see what the Lord has done. In other words, the the help that the Lord is going to give his people to rescue them from these perils, it's as good as done. It's guaranteed. And so it's written like it has already been done. Right? The psalmist is calling upon God's people to, to see God and that he can and certainly will rescue them, doing for them what they cannot do for themselves. He's going to destroy the wickedness of the nations and the people they're in who are attacking his people. And he's going to destroy everything that they're going to use as an instrument to attack, right? Their bows, God's going to break. Their spears, God's going to shatter. Their chariots, God's going to burn up. I mean, no matter what they use, God is going to destroy it. Now, look at the second part of verse 10 
This is interesting. God said, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We know this comes right after God providing the victory. Right? Breaking the bows, shattering the spears, burning up the chariots. So what this means is that the destruction of the powers of the world, of the nations, the defeat is going to be so complete and final that these same nations, they're going to exalt this powerful God. They're going to see God's supremacy that he is above all, even them. And they're going to praise this God. And since that is true, since the victory is final, God's people and all the earth are going to experience peace forever. I mean, wow, what a God. And for a moment, just take a step back and look at how the psalmist kind of organized this psalm because it it gives us some additional meaning. In verse 1, at the very beginning, Before the trouble, before the the great peril comes, the psalmist declared, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Verse 11, at the end, right, after God has intervened, after God has calmed the chaos, after God has destroyed those attacking his people, they can see and know that God is still with them. And in the midst of rescuing them, in verse 7, they can see that he is with them. Because what does he write? He writes, the Lord of hosts is with us. That's the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And not only is he with them, but to say that God is our stronghold, or your translation may see fortress, the Hebrew word here actually means an inaccessible high place. And so the picture is that God has plucked his people out of the trouble, out of the chaos, and he's put them up there so high that the enemy can't reach them. So Almighty God is with his people before, during, and after. Now that is what I call security. True for God's people back then, and because God doesn't change, It's true for us, for you and me here as well. So even when the events of the world, where you see them on the news, on Facebook, on Twitter, when they disturb and frighten you, God is with you, right? He's going to shelter and protect you. He's going to enable you to act rather than being paralyzed. He's going to preserve you to the end, even while he himself is bringing about the victory. And nothing and no one is beyond his control. And so hope, hope in God and his victory, hope that you can be certain about because of who God is, that is genuine security. Now, does this mean that you will never suffer? That you will never die a physical death? No. I mean, I know that and you know that. But as we saw in last week's sermon, the the reason for hope, which was based on Ezekiel chapter 47, when we are part of God's people, our destiny is to spend eternity with God, experiencing 
the resurrection life, the abundant life with him forever. I mean, that's, that's guaranteed. But it's guaranteed and true only for God's people. So if you're not yet part of God's people, if you've never trusted in this beautiful, this protecting, this victorious, this rescuing God, then I invite you to do that right here, right now. Whether you're sitting here in the sanctuary or you're joining us online, I ask you to trust in Jesus' death on the cross to be the payment for your sins, the payment that you were supposed to pay, but Jesus did it for you. I invite you to trust in Jesus' resurrection to be the proof that just as he rose from the dead, you too will rise and have resurrection life with him forever. Well, we've seen the threat, we've seen the victory, and now that you know the truth, the truth about the security of hope in God, what's a good way to respond? Seek God as your security. Seek God as your security. And I want you to notice something very interesting happens in verse 10. Look at that again with me. Because up until now, everything has been written from the point of view of the psalmist, right? He painted these two pictures, the picture of the, the uh, perils, the disaster on one hand, but then that beautiful picture of God, who he is and what he does on the other hand. But in verse 10, notice that God burst onto the scene. It's God speaking. In the first part of verse 10, he says, cease striving and know that I am God. Your translation may say, be still and know that I am God. But there are two commands here straight from the mouth of God. The first command is cease striving. Stop it, God says. Stop trying to make it through whatever great peril you're facing on your own. Stop trying to win the victory on your own. Stop trying to provide your own security. But instead, obey the second command. Know that I am God. Know that I will protect and preserve you. Know that I will provide the font of victory. Know that I am and will provide your true and eternal security. Knowing God. In other words, experiencing God in that way. And you can do that because God is always with you. And when you do that and you trust him, therefore, you can be still. You don't need to strive to do it on your own. And when you do that, you can say the same thing the psalmist did at the very beginning of verse 2. Look with me at the first part of verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. Because God is always with us, because God is our refuge, and he is our strength, he is our very present help doing for us what we can't do for ourselves, even when great peril comes and shakes our world to its core, since all that is true, therefore, we will not fear. Because God often does more than we could hope for, there's more. Look at another result of God being right here with us. Let's read verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. 
Hmm. A river in Jerusalem with streams. Sound familiar? Maybe from last week? This image of flowing waters suggests God providing what is necessary, what is needed for the abundant life, just like we saw last week. Notice that having water, having this life from God, it brings joy to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Even as the nations are threatening the city, even with the chaos and the threat of destruction, of worldly measures of security, the city is full of joy. And this joy spreads throughout the city, like a river giving birth to streams spreading out. And why joy? Because God, the Most High God, the Almighty God, dwells there. And he is the people's true refuge, their true strength, their true fortress. He is their true security. And he will always be with them. It's not the walls of the city or the warriors or their weapons. It's God's presence with them that is their source of security. The psalmist is making very clear for the people of his day that even when great peril comes, whether it comes from natural perils or comes from human beings, and all the worldly sources are disappearing, worldly sources of security disappearing, it's God himself, their ever-present help, who is their only true security. Not just possible, but it's their reality. And therefore, they should not fear. And because God does not change, what was true for them is true for us, is true for you and me. Right? So you can make it through the chaos and the devastation that can come, whether it's a tornado that strips you of your your house, the coronavirus taking out your job and your source of income, the cancer taking out your hope to see the future, the mass shooting taking out your sense of security. You can make it through, not because you somehow power your way through or you decide that you're just going to kind of guess your way through it. No. But because the Almighty God, your God, is right there with you. Always, before the peril comes, he is with you. As he's obtaining the victory, he is with you. And afterwards and forever, he is with you, ensuring that you are not only safe and secure, but that you will enjoy the abundant life that he has for you. And so when your hope is in God and the certainty of his victory, then you will know genuine and lasting security. Now, I'm the care pastor, And so I know that some of you are going through it right now. You're experiencing the chaos. You're experiencing the impending doom. And you've had trouble even paying attention to what I'm saying. I I know that's true. But hear me now. God will take what is wrong and he's going to make it right. He will execute judgment against the forces of chaos and destruction in your life, and he will preserve you. He will give to you the good, abundant life in the end. And he will be with you forever. So what should you do? How should you respond? Seek God as your security. And this is really a matter of the heart, isn't it? It's a decision of ours on who and what we're going to trust 
for our security. Now, the phrases trust in God and faith in God, they mean about the same thing. And I think far too often we tend to trust in worldly sources of security instead of trusting God because our faith muscles are too weak. Especially here in the U.S., right? The land of plenty and opportunity. Far too often for far too many of us, we don't have to depend on God for our daily bread and so on. Our faith muscles get weak. They get atrophied. They're flabby. But even if you're not in imminent danger now, don't worry. It's coming. We all live in this fallen world, and disaster can strike at any time. And so if you want to get ready to be able to seek God as your source of security, I would suggest you do that by building up your faith muscles. And like physical muscles, you have to exercise them, right? You've got to do reps. And so every day this week, after you wake up, whether it's before or after your coffee or your um, protein shake or your smoothie, I ask you to perform five reps of an exercise. It's an exercise everyone can do, whether you're young, you're old, or you're like everyone in the room in between. Um, but you do it by opening up your favorite version of the Bible, turn to Psalm 46, and you personalize the first part of verse 1. You repeat those first five, you repeat that first part of that uh, um, verse five times. God is my refuge and strength, right? God is my refuge and strength. 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 And as you do this, your faith muscles will get a little bit stronger. You'll be more likely to seek God as your security. Martin Luther, the great reformer, knew that this worked. In fact, he considered Psalm 46 to um, be a, a theme of his life. Um, in fact, it was the inspiration for that great song in the Reformation, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And as many of you may remember about Martin Luther's life, he was a priest. He became born again. And he listed 95 things that were wrong with the church, either false teachings or bad practices. He put them on the, the door of a church. And from that moment on, he feared for his life whether it was from church authorities or from civil authorities, he hid out for about 11 years. And when the chaos struck, when the sense of impending doom struck, when things seemed to be at the lowest and the world around him seemed to be falling apart, he and his friend, Philip Melanchthon, would sing Psalm 46 to themselves. Because it was a reminder that God would preserve his word, that God would preserve his church, and that God would preserve him personally. And that even if he were to die at the hands of evil men, that he knew what his destiny was. That he would enjoy the abundant life with God forever with his Savior. Luther was seeking God as his security. It worked for him. It'll work for you too.
So we've seen the threat, the great peril that um, poses a, a, a loss of security uh, for us. We've looked at the victory, the final victory that God will provide as he does for you, which you can't do for yourself. And so my challenge to you this week, your one thing is to exercise your faith muscles every day. God is my refuge and strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you never fail, that you will never fail us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us as our refuge, our shelter, our strength, our fortress, and that you are always present to help us. Please enable each and every one of us to persevere in working out our faith muscles this week, to enable us to seek you as our security, to seek you first, not as a last resort after everything else fails, but first. To hope in you, not anyone or anything else. Because you are the Almighty. You are the victor. You are the one who will deliver us to our destiny. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.